This week's episode is brought to you by Main Street Windows by me, Jeff Heimbuck. Check out all the windows in all the Disney parks in all the world. Get all the information about the Imagineers who helped contribute to them and so much more. You can find it online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or OrchardHillPress.com. You can get a signed copy. That's Main Street Windows by Jeff Heimbuck. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And this is episode 195, which means if we do the math correctly, we're almost at episode 200. That's too much math. That is a lot of math. That's way too much math. It just seems like we just did episode 150 not too long ago, right? Well, I guess we did. I mean, it's been almost a year. Yeah, that's true. It would have been a year. Kind of nuts. So we don't really know what we're going to do for the 200th episode yet, but feel free to call in to the Community Weekly Goat Line and, like, leave a voicemail and just, Mm -hmm. you know, say whatever you want. Like, maybe your favorite episode or your favorite joke or your favorite (laughs) snack food at the park. I don't care. Just do one of those things and we'll play it on the 200th episode i guess um the goat your line, favorite co-host your favorite co-host jeff or george you have two choices 50 50 shots also if you say george you're not making it on the show because i edit them <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> the goat line is 424-785-4628 and just leave a message and you know if it's really good and really funny we'll play it on the show obviously we didn't think out what we're gonna do for the 20th episode yet we're just mm-hmm. making it up as we go along you guys mm-hmm. which is most everything so so call us Leave us some really nice comment or something scathing. We don't care. I mean, yeah. it might be good to kick us in the rump and say, hey, guys, do a better job. Listen, if it's really funny and scathing, I'm still going to play it. So, yeah. So, call us on the GOAT line. Let us know what you think. 424-785-4628. 424-785-GOAT. It's time for Disney History. Looking at the Disney family history can be a really great way to learn more about Walt and some of the decisions that he made in his life. So for this uh, history segment, we wanted to take a look at Walt's family and see where they lived and what they did. Yeah, so, you know, most people think about the beginning of the Disney story as starting on December 5th, 1901, when Walt was born in Chicago, Illinois. But let's go back a little bit further, meaning we'll need the swan boat time machine. I forgot to put that in our notes. Okay, good. So, and let's talk about Walt's parents. So, Walt's father, Elias Charles Disney, was born to Keppel Elias Disney and Mary J. Richardson on February 6th, 1859, in Bluevale, Huron, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Keppel and Mary were both born in Ireland, and then they ended up married in 1858 in Canada. So Walt's grandfather, Keppel, bought a 200-acre farm near Ellis, Kansas after moving to California to try and discover gold, you know, like everybody did at the time. (laughs) Um, Elias worked on his father's farm until 1884 for, you know, it was about six years or so. And then he worked in a railroad machine shop on a railroad crew building a line and then as a professional fiddle player in Denver. This guy had a pretty varied life, it seems like. 
Um, then he went back to his father's farm for a while and eventually ended up working as a mailman in Kissimmee, Florida. Mm. Uh, so one of his father's neighbors in Florida, because you know they really did move around a lot, had a daughter named Flora Call. And Elias married Flora Call on January 1st, 1888 in Florida, about 50 miles from where Walt Disney World would be built. So sort of like a five-legged goat. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Walt's mother, Flora, was born on April 22nd, 1868 to Charles Call and Henrietta Gross in Steuben, Ohio. And her father, Charles Call, was born on March 22nd, 1823 in New York. And Flora's mother, which I guess would be Walt's grandmother, well, no, her grandmother, sorry. Her grandmother, so yeah, his great-grandmother? Yeah, genealogy is confusing to me, so, um, was born uh, in, her name was Henrietta, and her she was born in Mihulen, Germany, on July 23rd, 1837. Elias and Flora uh, moved to Chicago soon after marrying, and they lived at 3515 South Vernon Avenue, and that's when uh, Elias worked as a carpenter. And they bought uh, a lot at the 1249 trip and built a house on it in uh, 1892. And uh, he also worked at, as a construction worker for the ninth, uh, sorry, the 1893 World's <laughs> Columbian Exposition in Chicago, um, which is credited as being an influence on young Walt. And this was also the house that uh, Roy and Walt would be born in. So Herbert Arthur Disney was Elias and Flores's first child. He was born in Florida in December 8th, 1888. And he would stay with the family until about 1908 when he ran off with his younger brother, Raymond. They left the Marceline farm in the middle of the night and worked in Kansas City as clerks. Uh, eventually, Herbert would marry, he would have a child, and they would move to Portland, Oregon, where he would be a mail clerk. Now, Raymond Arnold Disney was born on December 30th, 1890. And besides running off with his brother Herbert to Kansas City, he was really only known as being an insurance salesman who was allowed to roam the halls of Disney Studios selling insurance. Um, and most employees kind of felt it was a condition of the employment, so Walt and Roy uh, told him to knock it off. <laughs> Which, I mean, granted, if you're the Disney's brothers and you're selling insurance, it works to your favor. Um, exactly. But uh, Raymond married Alva Meredith Fisher, and they had one son. Okay, so... Roy Oliver Disney, also known as Roy O. Disney, was born on June 24th, 1893. And of course, he was Walt's partner for most of their lives. And it's fairly accurate to say that his financial acumen often saved the Disney company on many occasions. And he worked with Walt and their father, of course, to deliver the Kansas City Times. And then he found employment as a teller at the First National Bank of Kansas. Now, Roy served in the U.S. Navy from 1917 to 1919 and was discharged after contracting uh, tuberculosis. And he spent time in hospitals in New Mexico, Arizona, and finally Los Angeles. And he was working as a bank teller in L.A. when Walt, uh, Walt moved to town. And the last child, uh, after Walt, of course, was Ruth Flora Disney. He was born on December 6, 1903. And she married Theodore Charles Beecher, and they had one son. Okay, so we all know that Walt and Roy formed the Disney Brothers Studios in 1923. Um, in April of 1925, Roy married Edna Francis, and Edna was born on January 16, 1890. She was introduced to Roy when she worked at the Kansas City Times. Now, Edna's younger brother worked at the same bank and introduced Edna to her teller friend, Roy. Now, Roy took Edna to a dance, and despite his lack of dancing skills like George, uh, he still won her heart. Um, they had one son, Roy Edward Disney, born on January 10, 1930. 
and Roy E. would be fairly instrumental in bringing Eisner into the company in the 1980s and safeguarding animation before and during the second golden age. So on July 25th, 1925, uh, of course not to be outdone by his older brother, Walt married Lillian Bounds, who was uh, working uh, and inking and painting celluloid and sometimes doing secretarial work, although she said that she wasn't that good at it. Uh, Walt would often drive a lot of the ladies home after work, and he'd always drop Lillian off last, even though her house was closest to the studios. Um, Lillian was born on February 15, 1899 in Idaho, and Walt and Lillian were actually married in Idaho. They had two children. Diane was born on December 18, 1933, and Sharon was born on December 31, 1936, and the Disneys actually officially adopted Sharon a few weeks after her birth. Roy E. graduated from Pomona College in 1951 and worked at Disney as an assistant director and producer. And he's mostly known for his true life adventure films. He married Patricia Daly in 1955 and they had four children, Tim, Roy, Abigail, and Susan. Now, Roy E. was elected to the board of directors in 1967 and actually resigned from the company in 1977 and he resigned from the board in 1984. And when he championed Eisner and Wells, he returned to Disney on the board of directors and as vice president of uh, feature animation. So Roy E. resigned from the board again in 2003 in an effort to oust Eisner. And when Eisner announced an early retirement, Roy E. came back on the board as a consultant and a non-voting member. Uh, Roy E. and Patricia filed for divorce in 2007, and Roy married Leslie Demuse, a telephone, a television producer in 2008. <laughs> Much different telephone producers. Uh, Roy was well known for his love of sailing and actually held the speed record of seven days, 11 hours, 41 minutes, and 27 seconds from Los Angeles to Hawaii. And Roy E. passed away in December of 2009. Uh, Diane Disney, Walt and Edna's uh, first daughter, first saw the public spotlight in 1951 when she published with Pete Martin a series of eight articles published in the Saturday Evening Post um, in 1956 entitled My Dad, Walt Disney. Eventually, the series was published as The Story of Walt Disney in 1957, and Diane was set up on a blind date with USC Trojans football player Ron Miller in 1953, and they were married on May 19, 1957. Uh, Diane and Ron had six children, Christopher, Joanna, Tamara, Jennifer, Walter E., Ronald, and Patrick. And Diane, uh, later, was part of the big push to finish the Walt Disney Concert Hall after a $50 million gift from her mother. And Ron and Diane also purchased a vineyard in Napa Valley. Uh, they built a winery there in 1980 and operated Silverado Vineyards Winery. And of course, most Disney fans know Diane and Ron from their tireless work to open the Walt Disney Family Museum in the Presidio in San Francisco, which opened in October of 2009. Sadly, Diane passed away on November 19, 2013. Ron Miller was actually born on April 17, 1933, and attended USC where he played football. And after marrying Diane, he was drafted into the Army. And after the Army, Ron played tight end with the Los Angeles Rams. After the season, Walt actually offered him a job saying that he didn't want Ron to die on the field. Um, so Ron spent most of his time at Disney as a producer and director for live action and weekly television shows. Ron became the president of Walt Disney Productions in 1978 and CEO in 1983. And during his time as president and CEO, Ron created the Touchstone label, he established the Disney Channel, uh, began funding the first films of Tim Burton, and purchased the rights to and began development on who framed Roger Rabbit. 
Uh, sadly, Ron was ousted by Roy E. and Sid Bass, and we all know the Eisner tale from there. <laughs> yes. Sharon May was born on December 31st, 1936, and was adopted by Walt and Lillian a few weeks later. She married Robert Brown in 1959, and they had an adopted child, Victoria, in 1966. Uh, Robert died in 1967, unfortunately. And then Sharon then married William Lunn, and they had twins in 1970, Brad and Michelle. And then Sharon passed away in February uh, of 1993. Yeah, so we just wanted to take a quick look at the Disney family history and all the Disney kids and grandkids and grandparents that have had something to do with the company in some way, shape, or another. And most of the um, kids today, so to speak, <laughs> that sounds funny, <laughs> the Disney children. <laughs> the Disney kids. <laughs> the Disney kids. Um, uh, aren't involved with the company and of course are usually just living on the inheritance that they received as well um, but we'd like to know what you think about the disney family history and if you've ever met any of the disney family or anything else cool like that uh, give us a call on the communicore weekly goat line at 424-785-4628 that's 424-785-GOAT he's a nerd he's a geek but we all like to hear him speak so listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, so I just finished One Little Spark, Mickey's Ten Commandments and the Road to Imagineering by Marty Sklar. And of course, most people know Marty because he's a Disney legend and he pretty much was at the opening of every Disney park around the world. And he doesn't hesitate to tell you that several times in the book. He also called and he wants changes. <laughs> he wants changes. <laughs> so, um... Over the years, when Marty would give various talks and he would mentor other Imagineers, he developed what he called Mickey's Ten Commandments, which were basically about theme park design, but you can push those towards almost anything else in life. Like, we use them for Communicore Weekly. That's true. We bring to you these 15... <laughs> 10. <laughs> 10 Commandments. Okay, so uh, Marty states that the commandments sort of came from his experiences working with Walt Disney and the other Disney legends, and he just sort of translated them after working with them for so many years. Okay, so if you haven't seen the Ten Com Mickey's Ten Commandments, i got to be careful how I say that, um, it is definitely worth looking up on the internet even before you read the book. Uh, if you are familiar with them, uh, you still want to read the book because Marty does something very interesting with Mickey's commandments. Um, in a move that really surprised me a lot was, and it shows sort of the power that he still holds within the Walt Disney Company, Marty sets out to look at each of Mickey's commandments and see how Disney did something right and Disney did something wrong. And he has no problem pointing fingers, which really, really surprised me. Um, Marty explains that uh, back in the 50s, probably 51 or 52, Walt created the mouse curve like the Oscar. Um, and he used, Walt used this when an employee did something special and needed recognition, like, you know, his brother Roy. I mean, who's going to give Roy an award except Walt? Yeah. Know, that's about it. I mean, I would give Roy an award. Oh, yeah. Well, we have. We should give it to him posthumously. Okay. Well, no, we take the time travel machine. Ooh. You are, Roy. You don't know us, but we wanted to give you this award. We'll give you this award. Take care. So, there you go. Um, so for this book, Marty invented an award that he calls the Goof. And it's an award that he gives to the Imagineers for not quite doing something right. I bet Goofy doesn't like that name. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned, each one of the Mickey's commandments, Marty will look at what Disney or the Imagineers did right, and maybe what he did, that, he, that what, what they did wrong, in Marty's opinion, basically. 
And, you know, I'm not going to ruin anything for anybody that wants to ruin this book, except everybody Spoiler, dies Spoiler, he wants changes. Yes, uh, Voldemort actually... No, Marty actually kills Dumbledore, <laughs> is what it is. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I completely lost where I was. Well, this would be different from anything else. So, um, but, you know, you might be surprised at how critical Marty was of the organization, but he really, I think, did it from a place of what he thought was love. You know, we need to be on our game. We need to not make these mistakes again. And he doesn't just lambast anything. He does talk about how they could have changed it or made something different. Um, he sort of says, you know, like Imagineering builds something, it's permanent. So you have to live with it. So make sure it's right. Uh, the Mickey's Ten Commandments is a very short part of the book and basically takes about 89 pages or so. And the rest of the book is geared towards people who would like to either work as an Imagineer or would like to know how some of their favorite Imagineers became Imagineers. So Marty asked hundreds of his fellow and former Imagineers to write down what advice they would give to somebody who was looking to enter the organization. And then there are hundreds of answers ranging from a paragraph to a few pages. And they straddle all the disciplines at Imagineering, all the personality types, all the jobs within Imagineering and WED itself. Um, it was actually fairly inspirational. And I think a lot of people who are contemplating being an Imagineer or joining that career will really find the book interesting, uh, especially parents who might want their kids to be an Imagineer. They can give it to them and say, here, read this, and then you'll be an Imagineer. Um, no, Is that really all it takes? That's No, that's not all it takes. Okay, so make it sure. Disclaimer. Yeah, just make sure that Colby's got a copy of the book. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I said, it's this book is more of an inspirational tome more than anything else. And, you know, anybody who's in a creative field is really going to find something that they're going to be able to latch onto or connect to, uh, as well as use as a touchstone, maybe when they get discouraged or they're not sure what they want to do. Um, I thought it was really nice to see that the Imagineers really, they, they were trying to reach out and they were trying to share their knowledge, as well as talk about some of their favorite projects at times. But overall, I think people that are going to like this book will have an interest and different career paths. I mean, it's not gonna tell you A, B, C, D, do this, but it's basically, you know, learn as much as you can, study as much as you can, go to school and do what you love. Don't just go to school to become an Imagineer, because that's not the way you do it. Oh, and I spoiled the book. Darn it. Man. I know, I hate it when that happens. Pagers so, for nothing. So yeah, I think, you know, the, the Mickey's Ten Commandments can be fun for business owners or people in the creative arts to look at. And the stories are rather inspirational as well. So I think, if you have an interest in any of those, definitely pick up One Little Spark, Mickey's Ten Commandments, and The Road to Imagineering by Marty Sklar. Here's another minute that you can't get back. It's the 60 Second Review. Okay, so we've had a rash. What? Exactly. Of <laughs> I left that pause in there for you. Thanks. Uh, we've had a rash of live-action films that have been adapted from animation or animated classics recently, including a lot of big names like Maleficent, Alice in Wonderland, and of course, you know, 101 Dalmatians, which was really pretty good. And there have been a lot more misses, it seems, than hits. And, you know, Jeff and I were actually on a panel at Dragon Con uh, discussing animated films that were turned into live action, and like 50 people showed up. It was crazy. Yeah. So Disney's latest Blu-ray release is Cinderella. And we know that you guys would want to know, how does this one stack up, and will the glass slipper fit? See what you did there, folks? I tried. You made a Cinderella joke. <laughs> Tip your co-host. He's here all week. Um... So yeah, I was kind of hesitant to see the film, mostly because, you know, like George said, more often than not, they're all terrible. Um, 
But I saw the Cinderella preview at uh, California Adventure before the film came out, and I walked away from it, you know, pleasantly surprised, honestly. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater, but I was eagerly, you know, waiting for the Blu-ray to show up at the house, and when it did, I, we, we devoured it. Yeah, yeah. Not like it's, food, but like watched it. Yeah, because that'd be painful. Yeah, pretty um, much. I, I did read the novelization during the spring in anticipation of seeing the film, but you know how busy us Communicore overlords are. Um, but I did enjoy the book, especially the slight retelling of the tale. And in the movie, like the book, we see a lot more of the backstory of Cinderella and her parents. Um, also, uh, when the wicked stepmother and her daughters are introduced, we also get more of their story. And overall, I, I really enjoyed the film, and I liked comparing it to the 1950 animated classic because I wasn't going, oh, that was better. It was sort of like, oh, I like that. That was a good way of telling it for a modern audience. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it presented uh, a more intriguing storyline, and it had a lot of depth to the characters. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this is the type of retelling that Disney should have done with Angelina Jolie does Sleeping Beauty last year. <laughs> um, I mean, this was true to the original story, but it still had enough twists and turns to it to make it unique in its own thing. And, you know, there, there really wasn't any time when I was watching it that I felt like anything was out of place or any of the new stuff was slightly off. Um, you know, it all really felt perfectly within the context of mm. the tale. And it was, it was really all t tastefully done. Yeah, you know, what surprised me was the addition of the prince. And no longer just a nameless character, he's really got a name. But he also has a, a raison d'etre and a fully realized relationship with his father, the king. And, you know, the story, as I mentioned, was sort of updated for a modern audience. Um, and the special effects were very, very well done. Uh, it didn't seem like the filmmakers were trying to compete with the animated film, but they tried to create a style of magic all their own, and, and honestly, I thought it worked. Huzzah! Oh. <laughs> Huzzah, it worked! Um, I mean, really, if nothing else, the film proved that in the hand of competent filmmakers, the retellings can work and work well. I mean, who, who knew? Who can tell? Um, but, I mean, we liked it a lot, obviously, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna get flack for this, but I thought uh, Helena Bonham Carter as a fairy yeah. godmother was great, personally. Um, she was perfect. And I don't understand what everybody was hating on her for. I thought she really fit the, the role pretty well. Uh, she fit yeah. the bill pretty well, if you will. And speaking of bills, uh, because <laughs> animals and, and... Anyway, so the special effects were really great, like George said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I have to agree. I thought she did a great job as the fairy godmother. But, you know, Kate Blanchett was great as the wicked stepmother. She can do no wrong. Oh, she brought... This interesting, you know, what I'm thinking of, a, a level of humanity to the character that didn't make sense in the animated film. There was no need for it there. Um, you know, and I think that we're seeing a pattern here of, you know, getting uh, live action remakes where the ones that we've liked were the ones in which the characters really come to life for us. Yeah. And I think Sir Kenneth really was the perfect choice to direct this yes. film. Um, yeah. I mean, just over the years, he's shown that he really knows how to direct his actors, and he really knows how to make a scene compelling, and I've always been a fan of his, so this is best, yeah. basically a match made in filmmaking heaven for me. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, so there were a handful of extras, but nothing major that's going to get any of the Disney nerds excited. I mean, this would be a great place to have a history of Cinderella, yes. the tale. Um, the main one, A Fairy Tale Comes to Life, it, it obviously has the most appeal, and it's just a basic making of type featurette. Uh, but there was also one called uh, Staging the Ball, and it really showed that the lengths that the filmmakers will go to to create a physical set that turned out to be spectacular 
in the film as well as in the feature yeah. itself. So we, I mean, you guys know that we're pretty much nerds when it comes to extras and stuff, but really, mm-hmm. it was just a lot of fluff and like standard pieces that didn't add much to it. Um, I really wanted some more in-depth things. The costume yeah, test thing definitely. was kind of fun, but I mean, really, not much else stands out except for the one thing that had nothing to do with the film itself, and that is Frozen Fever because we love snot snowmen. You mean snow boogers. Whatever, right. an amazing power to have, it's still hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Frozen, the ability to sell a trillion pieces of merchandise and print money. Yes, I mean, there is on. no other power. That is the come best on. one. Um, but really, the film was great, so you're basically buying the disc for that. I can only hope that the next you know, batch of live-action remakes that come out are as good as this one, because it's fantastic. Yeah, so definitely two slippers. Two slippers up. Yeah. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Now, anybody that's ever hung out with us before knows that we like to kick back and have a couple of drinks wherever we are. Which is why I'm pretty stoked to see Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar at Disney Springs whenever the next time we get to Walt Disney World is. I mean, it looks pretty awesome, right? (laughs) Um, So... Inside the bar itself, there's a whole bunch of, like, initials and writings on the wall. And one of the walls says R-T-O-D-2. And then beneath that, it says R-X-E-2-4. So, of course, the first one, R-T-O-D-2, stands for R2-D2. And the other one is referring to Captain Rex from Star Tours, who was R-X-24. That was his call sign. So... This goat actually comes from the two Garys, uh, Gary Hall from WW Kingdom Cast and Gary Navo, who posted it in the Kingdom Cast group, the Rex call sign. So thanks a lot, two <laughs> Garys. And now that we're at the end of our show, it's time to announce this week's winner for the year of a million or so, limited time cadets. And of course, I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing it already, but if you want to be entered, send us an email at communicoreweekly at gmail.com, give us your name, your address, and your birthday month as well. And we'll put it into our secret little raffle drawing, and maybe we'll pick your name out one week. Who knows? Uh, so this week's prize winner, they're going to get, I don't even remember, George, where are they going to get this week? <laughs> okay, they're going to get this really cool box and inside the box is called build sleeping beauty castle it is a cardboard or it's a paper model of the most magical castle on earth that includes push button push button lights and an illustrated book by the man jeff curdy awesome i've got a couple more of these i'm holding i'm not going to give to anybody but this one's going to come and it is gloriously pink Awesome. Wonderful. So this is going to be perfect for our prize winner this week. Um, it's <laughs> Our winner of this week's prize is Reggie E. from Gilbert, Arizona. So Reggie, I hope you like to build castles because you're getting a castle and a book to read. Yes. Good times. With, with lights. With lights. We like it. We Halloween like it. So castle? Who knows? <laughs> probably not. It's too scary. Fair enough. Um, okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Yes, please leave us a comment on the YouTubes or rate us on iTunes. Wherever you listen to the show, let us know. We want to hear what you think. Yep. And you can always email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. And that's the only way to enter the contest. Hey. Email us your name, your address, and your birthday. So you can be entered into the contest. Yay! And of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly, where we're always posting some fun things. Yep, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can always give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4242. 
And again, our 200th episode is coming up, so give us a call, leave us a voicemail, let us know what you like about the show. Or not, doesn't matter, we'll probably play it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and does that mean we're going to have solid gold shirts available at communicorweekly.spreadshirt.com for sure. people to buy? Sure, and no one will buy them. Or rose gold in honor of the new iPhone. Fair enough, we can do that. We can do that. So visit communicorweekly.spreadshirt.com and buy our shirts, please. Please, please. And if you want your official cadet membership card or some Communicore Weekly stickers, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box, 432 Orange, California, 92856. And you can always support the greatest online show by visiting patreon.com slash Weekly and helping us out. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.